Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about this past weekend's Arlington Regional Championships, the largest regional championships of all time, and of course the fact that Lugia V-Star won the event. We'll talk about a little bit of controversy surrounding the upcoming San Diego Regional Championships with the deck list submission deadline, so we'll be discussing that. We'll, of course, have everyone's favorite segment, Guess That Flavor Text, and we'll close out the episode by talking about the current prizing structure for regionals. This is a topic we've talked about a few times, but it does feel prevalent after we're coming off of a weekend of the largest tournament of all time, where several people who played in day two only came away with 30 championship points, no packs, no money. We'll talk about that and more on this week's episode. As always, my name is Chip Ritchie, and I'm joined by my co-host, Azul GG. What's up, Azul? How we doing? How was your weekend in Arlington? Pretty good, pretty good. It was a interesting, uh, or it was a good event, as always. Uh, ended up top 16 once again. Uh, this time I did uh, win my win in in or win in hope i don't bubble and then i bubble that ninth place but still uh once again another regional or another tournament where i achieved my goal of feeling like i put myself in a pretty good spot make top eight wasn't able to come up with another wasn't able to come up with a top eight this time as well just like the last time but uh still feeling like i'm putting myself in a good spot each time so i'm just you know those come around eventually and i got a little week or a, or a little break before the next one thankfully because i was getting started to get a little burnt out and going to this event i was feeling pretty burnt out um, so got a little bit of break, got the holidays coming up, going to take a break uh, for that as well, away from content and all that stuff in general uh, this coming up weekend, uh, and then back into kind of the whole grind again after after Christmas. But what about you, Chip? How was your weekend this time you were playing? You weren't casting, uh, but you did make it on the uh, onto the stream. I did make it onto the stream. That's right. Yeah. So I did play in the regionals this weekend for anyone who's listening who... Uh, didn't hear that in the last couple episodes, but yeah, I did participate as a player. Azul and the crew let me into kind of the testing process I was preparing with them in the couple weeks leading up to the event. And we did end up playing the Lost Box deck, so I played the same 60 as the crew, Did trusted the spreadsheet. Uh, we'll talk maybe in the future a little bit about the process and some of my perspectives on being an outsider coming in and seeing how they all work, how the machine kind of functions, right? Um but it was really cool to see, and I uh, really appreciate y'all letting me come in and be a part, and I had a good time participating in some of the conversations. Um, there was a lot of decks that we talked about in the couple weeks leading up to the tournament. I don't think that anyone necessarily expected to play Lost Box Kyogre. I think everyone knew that it was like probably going to be the top choice if nothing else came up, but every avenue got explored. All kinds of different decks, you know, of course, Lugia, and then every other well-known deck and then some other off meta decks that people uh, wouldn't expect and wouldn't be able to even <laughs> guess what the decks were. Right. Um, all <laughs> kinds of things getting tested and stuff like that, that some, some work out and some just turn out to be bad ideas. Right. Um, but it's really interesting to see just kind of how that whole process works. But yes, like you said, I did play in the tournament. I did finish at a five, three and one record, meaning that I lost on that winning in, uh, which they did put me up on the stream for the winning in, I guess like it was just meant to be or something like that. Poetic justice <laughs> almost, right? Like I, if I'm not working the stream, I got to get put up there at some point maybe, but it was fun. Um, it was first time I'd ever played up on the big stage with like the white noise and all that going on. It wasn't too bad. I, I hear people talk and like complain about 
the white noise a lot. And um, it was kind of like a little bit of a surprise at first, but then I just kind of, once the game started zoned in and wasn't too worried about it. Um, I do want to talk about my top eight game. I don't know. Or not my top eight, my uh, winning in game. I don't know if you watched any of it as or have got, like you were obviously playing in the round. I don't know if you've gone back and watched any of it, but I talked to you about it a little bit after I know, but I, uh, definitely, I scooped game one early cause I didn't think I was going to win. I was playing up against Reggie's, which I think is a close matchup. I know you think for the deck that it's like a favored matchup. And I, th- I think the, the group is like kind of split. It's like between slightly favored to like 50, 50 ish, something like that. It's probably somewhere around there. Right. Yeah. But, um, things didn't go great for me in game one. So I scooped quickly cause I wanted to win a game two, game three, and you need a lot of time if that's going to happen. And then, Game two, I made a couple of like dumb sequencing issues in the first turn because I was trying to play quickly. I battle VIP passed and put down a Sableye instead of a Comfy because it was purple. <laughs> and I was just trying to play quickly, you know. Um, but it, it all got figured out. I ended up, I think I would have been in an okay spot to still win game two, but I misremembered my prizes. I prized a water energy. I thought I had the two remaining water energies. So I lost zones the second one, and then I went and played Mirage Gate, and my other water energy was not in there. <laughs> and so I was like, <laughs> crap, I can't use Greninja. Um, when On a turn, I would have been able to take two prizes. Um, so that probably just put me a little too far out. And then I just had, a, in the mid-game, crazy, tough, lost box, comfy flower-selecting decisions where I flower-selected into Sableye plus Energy Recycler, I was like, okay, I'll just have to play my one Sableye. Kept the Recycler. Next one, Flower Selecting into Kyogre plus Energy Recycler. <laughs> and it was like, okay, well, sure. And I think at that point, that was after the Water Energy thing where I knew I only had one left in the deck and one was in the prizes. So I was like, okay, goodbye, Kyogre. Can't probably use you anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just ended up being a tough one. It is what it is. And um i had a great time playing i would love to play more tournaments in the future i obviously i'd say my preference is to cast and like work the event but i'm glad i had that experience for the first time in a while yeah so i just talked for a really long time so i'm sorry for that but i just like rambled (laughs) for like four minutes i feel like (laughs) it's good to have you you playing with us chip for sure yeah if if you ever don't cast any more future events you're always welcome and um yeah i'm sure you'd be open to, to to playing again if that ever happens but yeah we'll probably see you in the the booth uh the majority of time you show up at the show up at pokemon events um and speaking of pokemon events uh well i guess we were talking about pokemon events but the winner of the the pokemon event connor fitton won arlington regionals with lugia which i don't think is a surprise that lugia won i also don't think it's really that big of a surprise that lugia kind of uh kind of regained its dominance over the format over the meta because the deck is so ridiculously versatile sometimes can't deal with the unknown but once the unknown is known uh it's very easily for the deck to adapt either strategy wise just learning matchups or just you know the right tech cards for certain matchups as well right so that's kind of what we saw lugulus adjusted uh there's like drapions from u2v unions there was bird keepers there was eldegoss there was all these things uh, i think john ang played Gigas and two pats of the peak as like an answer to Arcturaladons, right? So everyone was like, okay, these are the things that uh, Lugia struggles against. Okay, well, we can make our Lugia deck beat them. So they were kind of had that that one weekend where we saw a bunch of Lugia do pretty poorly overall. Not terrible, really, right? Like two weekends ago, uh, but pretty poorly. And then Lugia had its bounce back this week and returned to its dominance. Like I said, Connor 
taking the whole thing down with actually not that many tech cards in the list, right? No Dunsparce or Manaphy, which is actually uh, definitely a surprise. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize that until the beginning of the cast here. I hadn't looked at the list yet, but yeah, no Dunsparce or Manaphy in Connor's list. Which I think probably aided him in his mirror matches, which if you look at Connor's mm-hmm. Twitter, he played against a bunch of mirror matches before top eight, you know, in the 15 rounds, I think it was, um, I think it was a total of 10 out of the 15 rounds. And then he played it one, the mirror once in top uh, four as well. So out of his 18 total rounds, he played against 11 <laughs> Lugia mirrors, which is uh, crazy, but really not a surprise because of how popular it was. I will say I played nine rounds. I played against zero Lugia. So <laughs> I don't know what happened there, but it just didn't work and out for Connor there. But yeah, for <laughs> Connor to play against 11, someone's got to play against zero. I guess right. that was <laughs> you. But yeah, Lugia was what 30, uh, 30% of the meta in day one, 29.4 or something. And then day two, I think it was 38% of the or 20, 29. Yeah, 29. I don't know what I said. 29.4 or something. 29%. Day one, thirty-eight percent. Day two, um, so still kind of yeah, returning to his dominance or maintaining its dominance of uh, meta percentage in the format for sure. Like that didn't really change week to week. It was a little bit less in Toronto. I, we, we never got the numbers for Stuttgart or Brisbane, did we? For MetaShare, did we? Maybe we got it for Brisbane. I don't know if we ever got it for Stuttgart though. I think that they all got released like the Friday before the tournament. So I think that they're probably going to be updated on Limitless shortly. Yeah, they've got the top sixteen now on Limitless for. Australia, Stuttgart has all of day two, it looks like. So we do have those numbers now. In day two of Stuttgart, Lugia was 35%. Mew was 23%. Okay. So, I That's mean, just for day two, though. Expect. We don't have, like, day one. No. But yeah, but the day two is... If the day the day two is similar, then it probably is. Probably... Yeah, like, it seems like Lugia is basically 30% of the meta everywhere. Uh, and then going into day twos, it's bumping up to like 35 to 40%. Because we almost have 40% of Toronto, right? Oh, it was a- LAIC was 40%, I think. Yeah. LAIC no, was 30 LAIC day two was like 55%. Oh, sheesh. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> Let me go it was even worse, it. yeah. I'll check yeah. on... You can. I love the fact on Limitless you can track all this stuff, but... oh, yeah, Shout out to, uh, to yeah. Robin and the whole Limitless crew for everything they do, of course. Also, like I, like, I didn't know if you knew this, but they, they ran the... The, the, they've been running the streams for like the most recent regionals yeah but they that. have like the floating <laughs> yeah. hand cam yeah. and stuff like that's that's some big uh big production going on there so shout out to yeah, shout out to limitless i mean i think connor is kind of the head of all that organizing all of that stuff for the for the limitless team uh, with that kind of stuff i think i don't know for sure uh, but yeah shout out to all they're doing over in uh in general but also over in europe for getting the production for some kind of some streams because usually there's that when was the last time they have they ever done like an official regional stream in europe i think they've done it once or twice right they did uk nats i think in like 2015 okay i think uh, they did one regional at one point 2016 maybe might be wrong <clears throat> i don't remember correctly yeah um, maybe so at some point that like they streamed regionals a handful of times in like 2016, 2017, but then they stopped and then it was all grassroots. I don't think since Pokemon took back over doing all the North American regional streams that there has been a European stream uh, done yeah. by Pokemon since like Mar- uh, January of 2020. So, yeah. Yeah. So Lugia, yeah, absolutely dominating since it's, uh, since it's released, you know, it's been like 30% of day one metas and then yeah, 35 to, I mean, I don't know. LAIC is a little bit of an outlier because it was the first tournament. So we should probably yeah. say like 35 to 40% of, all the day two. So even like Brisbane, which was only a top eight cut, top 16 was still 37%. So, uh, and for me personally, I feel like that's actually a point where like 
I feel like that's that is like a that's just a number you can put on it where you like for me personally and and maybe someone has some other data to back this up or a different opinion on it, but I think that means a card is too good when it when it's a third of the meta uh consistently like if it's just the first tournament and it's like well this deck is broken uh and I don't have time to figure out an answer to this so I'm just gonna play the broken deck right that's one thing yeah and then you would have like the Toronto week where it's like oh we have all these answers for this deck actually but then it, because Lugia is so good Lugia Archraft is so good and so versatile. It's like, well, the next week after, it's like, well, I I fixed the matchup as the Lugia players, and now it's still just the number one deck by far. Um, and it actually was never gonna ever get dethroned, despite all these paralysis and energy control decks. So they're actually not good enough to actually beat Lugia when Lugia knows they exist, right? Yeah. So do you have like a do you have a different thought on that or a different take on that? Or because like for me, when I think like a third of the meta, I think that's when the deck is just too good. I think when the cards are too good. Yeah, I'm trying to go back and look at what some of like the early garbador meta shares were in day two like obviously everyone talks about that seattle regionals where it was like yeah i think that's a good example of top 32 but that's like an extreme that's like an outlier obviously and that's like i think we saw that at laic right 55 percent of day two and then you would expect it to scale back down maybe to like the 20 percent. i think like 20 maybe 25 percent is more reasonable but when you get to 33 percent a third of the meta consistently. Yeah, I agree. It's probably, I mean, it's, I think obvious that Lugia was the most powerful card in the format, you know, just thanks to Ar- I mean, it's not just Lugia, right? It's the Archaeops. Like it's the whole thing working together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe it is just a little too strong. It's, it's let, it is less fun to play in metas where there is a deck that is that massive of a percentage. I feel like, yeah. like variety. When you can't, mm-hmm. Well, you can't even be like i'm gonna play a deck that just beats it and then like yeah uh and like have that kind of be your you know your drive to success throughout that tournament it feels like that's not like the, no deck just beats lugia <laughs> like even i mean i guess like what we got close to was maybe we could talk about the second place list uh alex crackler with definitely a rogue take so there was a i guess there was a rogue deck that kind of pulled through the the hordes of lugia it was a vika vault build from alex crackler they got second place they did lose to lugia in the finals uh connor finn i think one of the strengths of alex's deck was definitely the unknown going up against so many people who had no idea what was going on and i'm sure a lot of their wins came from that but that's the the advantage of coming up with something new unique and different um or just playing something like a little bit different in like your list like <clears throat> a lot of the lost box decks are like playing a lot of different things so i'm sure a lot of like i got uh some pretty good uh a, a couple dubs because i played a boss in my lost box this weekend where like the the couple weeks before uh my kyogre list or the kyogre list that my group played had no boss in it right? right so then all of a sudden i had a boss no one really played around my boss and then i got some uh cheesy wins that way right yeah uh, and crackler's build is a vika vault deck uh you know heavily built around having the option of a turn one paralyzing bolt if you do go second but there's also a one one aerodactyl v star in here uh and their aerodactyl v star for anyone who doesn't know has an attack ancient star it is a v star power attack one colorless energy until this pokemon leaves play it gains an ability that has the effect your opponent's pokemon v in play except any uh aerodactyl v star have no abilities so if you go first with this card we kind of did we talk about this the the a the little bit yeah. build of this deck last time yeah so you go first you turn to use the the aerodactyl v star with the ancient star and then the lugia player can't use summoning star and then can't get their archaeops in play yeah and then they basically living off manual attachments trying to either ko the aerodactyl or, you know, draw enough prize cards that way. But it's pretty tough to do when then on the following turn as the Aerodactyl player, you're hitting with Vika Vault or Raikou V or something like that and just making kind of, uh, making it a hard time for the Lugia player. So yeah, it did get stopped in the finals against the Lugia. But uh, I probably, I mean, probably beat upon quite a few Lugias throughout the day and then also has a pretty strong Lost Box matchup as well. I think it's probably struggling up against, you know, 
just stuff like Arceus decks and stuff like that. But when they're not that popular, also Reggie's maybe would have been a, a difficult match for Crackler. They did beat one in top eight. Um, and there was a decent amount of Reggie in day two. And that did like Reggie's success rate was pretty high overall for how yeah. much it was played. But it was cool to see at least one kind of rogue deck kind of step up to the plate. And it wasn't able to take it down in the end, but got pretty close. Yeah, this deck's definitely cool. And I don't even think that it has to go first against Lugia to beat it as well because yeah. of how strong turn one item lock is, right? Like the, the strategy is obvious when you go first. You get down Aerodactyl V, turn two V-Star. But if you go second, you try to get that turn one V-Cavolt while benching the Aerodactyl, and then just cross your fingers and hope your opponent can't get off their Summoning Star, which it can be difficult for them to do under Item Lock, especially with so many of these lists cutting to um, two Arceus V or Lugia V-Star in their deck, right? They, they're relying on the fact that they play four Ultra Ball and four Evolution Incense to go get that Evolution Pokemon out. If you can you know, cut them off of playing those cards to find their Lugia. They get one turn of items without being able to play a supporter, really. And mm -hmm. it's reasonable that they might miss or might only get out one Archeops. And if they get out just one Archeops, sure, they'll be able to use it. Um, then you don't have to go with your Aerodactyl, obviously, because they've already used their one <laughs> V-Star power for the game, their one real um, Pokemon V with an ability, I guess, besides Luminion. So you can just try to navigate the game from there and it's much more reasonable to do when they've only got one archaeops to work with yeah yeah so you gotta yeah you, got, you either you either go first and you get the turn two, you know completely lock them out of the game with the aerodactyl or you go second you get the turn one item lock off uh you get that set up you get that going and then you know yeah, they're item locked right then they're they're they have to struggle to even set up to begin with and then you can follow up with the aerodactyl or you can kind of like try and snowball the game off your item lock potentially as well right um because they don't like play dunspar so i can't get into play because you item locked them the vegan vault's hitting pretty hard overall up against the lugia right yeah, especially uh, if the there's Rikuda. no dunspar so for sure for sure yeah yeah if there's yeah especially if there's no dunspar which is you know, connor didn't even have the dunspar as well so it's kind of like almost like perfect scenario for uh alex going into the finals no dunspar up against the lugia deck all right sounds good yeah but then it still once again did not end up working out um in so, the end, in the end, though, the rest of the top eight was swarmed by Lugia. Four other Lugias in top eight, alongside one of Reggie, or one Reggie and one Lost Box uh, to to fill it out. Yeah, I wanted to talk about um, in Connor's list a little bit. So we we did see a few techs kind of get popular the last weekend previous in Toronto. The Espeon V Max being the main one, uh, but then also like Bird Keeper plus Eldegoss being something that popped up a little bit at that tournament. Now, looking at Connor's list, he didn't have those things. He did have the one Bird Keeper, but there's no Eldegoss to reuse it. And he did favor the one Raikou, which is something we actually saw from one of the American groups down at LAIC. But it's something that they had kind of removed from their deck. So, I don't know. Where does Raikou kind of find its value? Why is it worth a slot in this deck? I mean, is it really even that good in the mirror? It's, like, probably decent, right? um so it's okay in the mirror especially if they're not playing dunsparce and everyone's playing uh orangaroo now so you can kind of get like like an amazing shot off with choice belt and you can go like ko alugia and then also ko the guru off the bench um which and is like, like if, i if, guess better value than evil tall right because you're taking three yeah. prizes instead of two and it's a little easier to get to and also i guess it gives you an option to get to it if you only get out one archaeops right because it's, yeah Harder to get to Evil Tall if you only get out one Archeops, but this you can just go attach plus use Archeops, right? Yeah, and there's like also situations where it's like if they use Yvatol against you, you can go like Raikou, Boss, and Archeops, KO Archeops plus their Yvatol, um, and then you take away all their energy out of play and then remove one of their energy acceleration cards as well. Of course, that's reliant on them 
not having Dunsparce or Manaphy in play and not playing them potentially because they could just put it in play. Uh, so the Raikou's like, okay. The one thing about the Raikou, though, is like you're most of the time you're cutting yourself off from having the option of Yivatal if you attack with Raikou, right. depending on your list. Like Connor's list specifically cannot attack with both. If you attack with one of them, you're just not attacking with the other, right? Um, so that's like one of the main reasons I don't like playing both or seeing both in lists is just because like you can't use both um so just playing the better one to make your deck more consistent usually feels a little bit better to me it also has some strength though in like the lost box matchup where yivatal is basically a dead card because uh i mean it can draw two prize cards sometimes right like oh, every lost box deck plays manaphy um but raikou wasn't super popular in lugia leading up to this point so you could definitely probably catch a couple lost box players not rushing out the manaphy when they could have just assuming you don't have the raikou in the lugia deck like at toronto regionals i didn't play like any of my lugia opponents played raikou and uh, none of them did so <laughs> yeah like and that's uh, what i'm sure some people did going into this weekend kind of the same thing i was like well i don't think you have the raikou so i'm not gonna bench my vanity turn one you do have it i guess i am getting punished um uh, but you know game two game three you can work with that information from there um so we did see a couple uh a couple raikus in the in the top eight as well i think liam also played it um and let's see anything else to say about uh, connor's list we could talk about liam's list from there i guess did have the raiku but also had two canceling cologne an echoing horn capturing aroma and no choice belt so probably the strangest lugia list i think maybe in the tournament definitely up there yeah the capturing aroma i hadn't even realized that was <laughs> that was in here i knew about the colognes and the horn and there, there was a few people who were on the cologne and the horn and i do think like I don't know about the cologne as much. I do like the echoing horn kind of in Lugia though, especially because yeah. I mean, just having cards like that in your deck for a tournament where, you know, it's closed deck list, your opponent isn't necessarily going to see it coming. Um, and especially so often in the mirror, I feel like this is a card that can get you back into the mirror where they're not going to expect you to have something like that. So they're not going to put a bunch of one prizes on the bench to prevent a play where you can go echoing horn, bring up a Lugia V, knock it out and take two prizes to win the game. Um, yeah. It is a little difficult to find it at the right time. It is a one of. You can yeah. preserve it a little bit with the guru if you happen to find it early, right? You can always put it back on top so you don't have to research it away necessarily. But I think that that's something you consistently see from good players at events is that they'll – like, I mean, you talked about with the boss, right? People not expecting you to have boss and then it was able to win you games. Um, is it, Having something like that in your back pocket that's just an, a little bit of an unexpected element – um, I mean, and that's the case for Connor as well with the, the Raikou potentially, right, in his list. So I think that that's something that uh, you, you always want to try to bring something a little spicy, a little unexpected in your deck to a regionals. Yeah, unless you truly have like the perfect 60 uh, and it's there's no reason to not just run it yeah. again. Yeah, there's no reason to just not run it again. Um, and everyone be trying to like trying to counter it, but there's no counter to it. Then you'd run that again. But yeah, you always want to try and mix things up a little bit. Um, yeah, so the Canceling Clones, good for all the cheesy decks that are trying to beat Lugia, the Weezings that are out on Arceus. Like, Canceling Clone is kind of your out in those matchups. Echoing Horn, also good against out, uh, Arceus Duraldon as well. Uh, the Canceling Clone gives you a way to actually hit the Duraldon. You still can't uh, one-hit KO it without a choice belt, though. Right. So you'd have to go, like, Cologne hit, Cologne hit, which still seems kind of awkward, to be honest. Um, but it does allow you to beat Weezing. And then also, because you have the Raikou, you can do stuff against Lost Box where you like boss the Manaphy and then play the canceling cologne and then use Raikou to knock them both out. Once again, it's kind of a big chore. Uh, and Liam's list specifically, though, I do like the Raikou. I it feels a little bit better because Liam is playing seven of the non-colorless energy: four Aurora, Hiding, Heat, and the Speed Lightning. 
So not too difficult to utilize Yvetal and Raikou potentially in a game. Um, so that's like a, definitely a powerful combo to potentially utilize in the mirror match. But in this list as well, though, uh, Liam doesn't have the choice belt. So you can't get those big one hits with the Raikou into a Lugia V-Star. So you are like losing some value on that as well. Um, but yeah, definitely interesting. Yeah, the capturing Aroma, I don't know. <laughs> I don't a little know. questionable. I mean... Listen, if you want a little bit more search and you've already got four Ultra Ball, four Ensigns, four Quick Ball, like... It's the best thing to go to, right? I mean, it's better Quick than Great Ball? ball, I guess, right? Is it? I don't, it, it always gets you it, something. Great Ball doesn't always yeah, but, get you something. Yeah, and I guess like a majority of the time, you're okay with just being like, like, yeah, I want a basic here. Uh, I got, I got, I don't actually know what it is. I got the evolution heads or tails whatever it is i can just go yeah. to an archaeops and discard it right like maybe you didn't get the basic maybe you didn't get your guru and play like you wanted but you went and just got an archaeops and set it up into the discard pile for the next turn and right? also even if you find it later it's like at always at minimum going to thin something out of the deck for you yeah that's right? true yeah so you're it's like thinning. you're you're either gonna if, if it's late game and you're wanting to find a basic to win like you've got so many other search cards you'll probably have another one to get a basic out and mm. if you flip to get a evolution you can just go get an archaeops out of your deck thin it out of there yep. or if it's early turns and you're really wanting to get archaeops or you need to find that v star you can go get a basic and you can thin a lugia v out of the deck that you're not going to need anymore right and just discard it so yeah i mean it's like always something you're getting a card off of so that would probably just make it slightly better than great ball right and it's also like search so like if you and sometimes you're just going to hit the one you want right you're going to hit the flip you want and it's going to be really good in those spots so um, i'm i'm yeah. uh not the biggest fan but i don't totally hate it <laughs> um uh liam did also play against tord on the win and end so um and also for anyone who listening doesn't know liam is the senior division world champion so he's playing his first year in the master's division and this was his first top eight as a master so uh congratulations to liam that is very um you know not surprising that he would get a top eight eventually right i think everyone expect knows that he's a great player and would be in top eight in the master's division uh, at some point but Moving up in the divisions is always kind of a tough thing. The first couple tournaments for these young players often, there's a bit of growing pains, right? You realize, okay, we're not playing with the kiddos anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, Liam finally got his uh, breakthrough performance with the top eight. Congratulations for sure. Yeah, I was sitting next to yeah, grass to Liam. I was sitting next to uh, Liam and Tord on the on, on their game on the winning end. And I think Liam in game three was it, like did it show toward the echoing horn for the first two games and then oh, in game three was able to use it to, so <laughs> to win the game i think i remember i remember hearing towards say how did i not see all these cards in the first couple of games <laughs> so i think like the, the capturing aroma was coming out maybe the uh the canceling colognes or whatever uh toward was definitely getting surprised by some of the stuff that he saw in the later not did definitely did not see any of those kind of cards in the first game but then the as the the match progressed they started to finally show themselves um but uh but yeah it seems like you I mean, you can definitely get a lot of value out of it. I, yeah, I don't know maybe the like looking at the list i feel like there's so much potential for a choice belt to be so good <laughs> i think it, i would maybe say it might be a little bit better than the capturing aroma the gamble probably. on the aroma feels uh probably a little bit off but yeah very cool list and uh yeah like the, i mean stuff like the canceling cologne and stuff is like cool text to deal with um those decks out there yeah they're just trying to cheese cheese lugia right they're not actually trying to like it feels like they're not trying to beat lugia straight up they're just trying to cheese them so the other two to talk about, we've got Jordan Gobbert, who got top four, um, played the Espeon VMAX, which we didn't see in any of the other top eight lists, right? Riley didn't have it. So yeah, no one else had the the Espeon, which is kind of interesting because that was like the big 
talked about card coming out of the weekend were people not playing Espeon because they were kind of just making the call that, oh, these counter decks that did exist aren't going to be as good. Like, you know, we're not going to need the Espeon for the paralysis and the evil tall celebrations discarding our energy. We don't think control is going to be big. So they're just like, yeah, we're not worried about it probably. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we still saw like, uh, like even Liam had Birdkeeper Eldegoss. I think everyone had a Birdkeeper almost at this event. I mean, yes, we can even look yes. on Limitless. It seems like everyone had a Birdkeeper. I mean, we can even look right now and see how many people had Birdkeepers. Uh, oh, actually, only 42%. Oh. But all the ones that's actually at the top half, uh, uh, like everyone who's in the top cut, I almost feel like has a Birdkeeper. Besides the Espeon build, I think maybe because you wouldn't want a Birdkeeper in that build. I don't think John played one either. But yeah, we saw like a lot of Birdkeepers. Uh, saw some espions, right? So like everyone Espeon had build by the way, some did kind have of answer. Keeper. Oh, they had a bird keeper in there as well. Okay, yeah. it was even they had the bird keeper. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess the bird keeper is like the main one that people were including as a helpful answer to some of the paralysis stuff. It gives you a little bit more of a chance in those matchups. Um, are also really good against control as well. Um, so yeah, everyone had a little bit of a tech for it, but it didn't seem like people went too far. Of course, the espion builds, of course, like that's all you need. Uh, and like this build specifically was interesting from jordan because it not only had the espion there was also there were still stadiums right there was still collapse and there was a path to the peak which is the i guess the most interesting card in the list for me personally yeah i'm not sure what their um i can't think of anything reason behind off the top of my head why the path to the peak would be so good to rock in here i, I mean, mean for, path to the path uh, card for what's it called right for for uh duraladon duraladon yeah Just i guess have... but you can't you can't even want to ko them so with oh no, you could energies, choice right? belt, yeah. yeah, four powerful choice belt. No, you're right, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I guess may have made that might be the reason then, right? Get the one hit KO. Yeah, and that, it that, also is like... good in mirror if you find it right. If you go yeah. second, <laughs> find it, put it down, and then turn to pumpkaboo it away. Like, yeah, they just I mean that that's a lot to ask for, sure, but it can happen. It can happen, yeah. So yeah, that's an interesting one. Also, one other card to talk about that I think. There was a little bit of conversation about it in the last few days leading up to the tournament, but that is Drapion V in Lugia decks. So we saw yeah. that from Jordan. It was also in Riley's list. That was a big part of it. And Drapion is just kind of a solid card, it turns out, right? Like, I mean, even when you're not playing against Mew, there's a lot of uses for it. It does a lot of damage. Um it can one-hit KO Espeon VMAX. It can one-hit KO Mewtwo V Union. And I really imagine that those are the things that Lugia cares a little bit more about. It's nice to have the option against Mew, but it's almost more so for the the Mewtwo's, I feel like, right? Yeah, I actually don't even think it changes too much of your Mew matchup. Maybe a little bit because uh, it's such an efficient attacker. Yeah. But... It, Mewtwo's Mew is trying to like go through two prize Pokemon, uh, even at the trade off of sometimes ignoring something like a Yvetal. Sometimes I guess it like it can't be Parasol, like you can't Parasol and stop Drapion from attacking you, so that's something I guess. Um, but yeah, so I guess, yeah, that means the Drapion seems solid. Like, yeah, the Mew matchup's not as relevant for it, I feel like, a lot of the time. It's more so, it feels like it's definitely more powerful. It's like as the answer for the Mewtwo V Union, it's like its biggest, yeah, uh, biggest reason to play it, right? It's just good against Mewtwo V Union, yeah. Yeah, and the Espeon boost as well. So, uh, the other decks yeah. in top eight, we talked about Alex's Vikavolt deck. Of course, we do have uh, Christian Fortnot with the Reggie Gigas. So, this was a deck that won the Japanese um, tournament, the um, what's it called? L not League um, 
City League. No, not a City League. Yeah, no, it's it? bigger than that. Champion yeah. League. Champions, Champions League. League. Champions League. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Champions League tournament. 3,000 players at one over in Japan. Maybe that boosted a little bit of the confidence for people coming into this weekend. And Probably had to, it, yeah. It was the third most played deck, I believe, in day number one. Maybe fourth most played behind Sablezard, something like that. It was up there. I don't remember. They showed it up on the stream. But, yeah. Um, yeah, this list is pretty interesting. There's the three Reggie Gigas. The two-one split of the Reggie Aleckis and just one Reggie Steel. <laughs> the one Reggie Steel plus Been the cheesy. one the one Hisuian Heavy Ball Gambit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're trying to get a little cheesy there with the one of Steel. It's like one of the least used Reggies, and it's gonna be really hard for anyone to really figure out. You know, they look at your bench and they're like, "All right, if you're gonna like go boss KO Reggie off the bench." You're going to be like, all right, well, I'm probably going to chase their Drago here. Or if they have a rock or an ice in the discard pile, I'm going to go chase that. But you'd never see a Reggie Steel in the discard pile because <laughs> right. there's only one in the deck. So you're never going to be like, all right, well, if I KO this Reggie Steel, they won't have another Reggie Steel because, oh, they have, there's none in the discard pile. So they have the other Reggie Steel. But they have Reggie Ice in the discard pile. I'm going to go boss KO that. Then they rod two back in, go get a Reggie Ice, and they're kind of fine again. Um, so it's really hard. We saw this first from Drew, I think, at Baltimore, yeah. where Drew played, I think it was one Reggie Steel as well. Yes. Um, and yeah it's just a really cheesy thing you can do with reggie i think it is probably the worst of the reggies i think reggie rock up there reggie rock's pretty bad too but maybe a little bit better you almost never attack with reggie steel to be honest it's, up yeah, against Reg mew there's like a time to use reggie steel to like 1k on mew v but it like doesn't actually happen really reggie rock has definitely decreased in value i would say since arceus has kind of fallen out of the meta but it is good against um stoutland which can one hit ko reggie alecki right so that gives yep. you a response to stoutland potentially and i would say more so based on this event and maybe what one in europe is it can one hit ko vika volt b oh true yeah yeah so people yeah so reggie steel really is the worst because i mean Registeel can like ko stuff in lost box but so can every other reggie so it really is only it can ko mu v I guess that's the one thing Reggie Steel can do. But that is the matchup that plays the most Lost City. So that's like the risky. <laughs> so like you go up there, you care their UV and they go Lost City knockout. And you're like, all right, let's go to game two. Yeah. Like, uh, I think you don't care about that rough. as much because like that matchup is solid enough for Reggie's, right? Just because, yeah, yeah. especially if you're rocking the three gigas like uh, Christian was. Mm -hmm. um, did play a kind of interesting stadium lineup. The two path to the peak, one Pokestop, one Stormy Mountains. The very yep. first iterations of Reggie Gigas, I know, all played Stormy Mountains, and then eventually people played all Pokestops. Path to the Peak has kind of just been the one that has come in and out of decks and has ultimately become the more consistent and best choice for the like best finishing lists, it feels like, yep. um, just because it has the most utility. And it's really solid in the meta right now where you've got Lugia that's really reliant on an ability. You've got Radiant Greninja in the Lost Box decks that's really reliant on getting set up. And specifically yeah. for like our Lost Box deck, we only play one stadium, so... Um, if they're playing heavy path to the peak and counter your Pokestop, you're not going to be able to use Greninja, which is going to really limit your options. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually not a huge fan of that. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the Storm Mounds plus uh, the Pokestop. I, I think four path is like super good in Reggie. Yeah, I think that's I like where a lot of your your win condition comes against Lugia, especially when they have like Dunsparce um, or Manaphy and Dunsparce. Like you just need to be disruptive with slowing them down through the just maybe them not getting the summoning star until like a turn after or having to put down like a Punkaboo to get there. Um, especially then if they don't have Manaphy, that becomes like uh, easy prize cards for some Terra Spark damage later. Uh, and then even in, yeah, the Lost Box matchups, super strong. And then also just really strong against Mew. Like sometimes Reggie just has a slow start, but the, being able to have the paths in the early game or in the mid game to stop Mew or any deck doing from whatever they want to do, I think it's like a pretty big deal. So it's definitely one uh, one thing I'm not a big fan of here. Did Was rocking the uh, the Yellhorn. I'm a big fan of the, the one of Steel. I think it's super, super valuable space to try and find in the Reggie deck is to cut. And I think that might be something we kind of see a staple moving forwards. But if it does become a staple moving forwards, 
you could sit there when you go up against Reggie and be like, okay, what is the worst Reggie currently in the meta? And it's like, all right, it's Reggie, Reggie Ice. I'm going to go KO with a Reggie Ice here. Let's see if they play one or two. So we can start <laughs> to see that kind of, yeah. uh, that like meta, the way the meta develops, the Reggie players cut one of their Reggie. The I mean, you'll never Reggie cut meta. a Lecky. You'll never cut a Gigas, a Lecky, or a Drago. So it's always going to be Steel, Rock, or Ice. That will be the one that's always cut. Uh, but yeah, I also have the Yellhorn here. So I was looking out for the potential of the Ice Q. Uh, also, Yellhorn, like, uh, like weirdly is like also really good against uh, Arceus Dorado. And with less paths in the deck, you might have to be using like Sonar at some point to recover a path to actually get through the, the Duraludon. So even with two path, I think, and that's like another reason to play more path as well, right? The Duraludon matchup. But with even, even with two path plus the Sonar from Bad Lucky, I think you're going to get there eventually. So um, so yeah, Reggie making top cut. Wasn't a huge surprise for how well it did overall and kind of yeah. how many people played it, to be honest. Yeah, I played against two in day one. How many did you play throughout the tournament? Did you play a couple? Uh, I think I played against three total. Three three total Reggies, yeah. Yeah, I was definitely around without a doubt. Um, and then the last deck in top eight to mention is going to be the Lost Box, but not Kyogre Lost Box. It is the amazing Rayquaza Lost Box. And this was actually the best finishing Lost Box just overall when you look at the top 32. There was two Kyogres, two people from our group, yourself and then Isaiah Williams, but there were three people on the um, Rayquaza version of the deck, proving that it's obviously the better version, right, Azul? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know about that. The Rayquaza build, I just it just feels so awkward so often. Yeah. You got five energy times, types in there as opposed to the three or even two of the Sablesard, three in the Kyogre box. Um, but I think it definitely is pretty solid overall. Like, you just you hit really hard with uh, Rayquaza. It, it, it is nice that it kind of answers all of your problems, that you have to try and come up with different solutions for those situations in something like the Sablezard or the Kyogre build. Rayquaza kind of like, it's like, oh, I KO Stoutland. Oh, and I want to KO Lugia. Um, but I feel like to get there is the hard part sometimes because you only have four Mirage Gates. Uh, you do have some Raihans, but for Rayquaza to one-hit KO, something like a Lugia, you do need four energy on the Rayquaza, which is, uh, you know, if they're timing their Marnies correctly, it can definitely be be a lot to get to sometimes but yeah i think that, i think it is pretty small overall attach simple enough bro come on now what happens if you do it again there's three <laughs> rihons in here come on now <laughs> no i definitely think it is i think the rayquaza is probably a little bit better than i give it credit for personally um yeah i think it's all over yeah like i said like rayquaza just like answers all the situations right and also like just like uh we played a drapion in the kyogre build this week to beat mutiv union which actually was the first thing i hit in round one of day one was a mutiv union deck <laughs> Which is uh, funny, I, too, yeah. because you were talking about before the tournament, you said nobody in our group is going to use Drapion at all today. This is going to be the most useless card in the deck. And then you played against Mewtwo <laughs> round one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Rayquaza answers all those situations, right? One hit KOs. Also, it gives you an arc to, a better Arc to on matchup as well. Uh, I like a winnable Arc to on matchup if you have the Ray build. Because the other builds, Sable Zard can keep up with Arc to on sometimes, but it can be a lot to use Zard consistently that many times. Um, but yeah, the rate just kind of does everything, right? Just one shot, one shot, one shot. But it does come at the cost, I think, of being a little bit less consistent because um, sure. pulling that thing off multiple times can be tough to do. And that's really what kind of it feels like metas get to at a certain point, right? Early meta, people are just playing consistent versions of their decks. And then later on, as things develop, people sacrifice consistency in favor of techs and things that can improve the matchups, which if they work, they improve your matchups, right? If, if you can beat things like the Arceus Duraludon, which by the way, was pretty popular at this tournament, more popular yeah. than it was at Toronto, at least. Um, it was pretty popular at this event. So if you can have something that turns an 
a very, very bad matchup into a pretty decent one at the sacrifice of the consistency. Obviously, like you have to change the deck setup a whole lot if you're, you know, changing from Sablezard or, you know, um, you know, Lost Box Kyogre. This is quite a different deck from either of those two things, right? But um, maybe it's worth it sometimes. And obviously it worked out um, pretty well for Jacob in this tournament as he was able to make top eight. Yeah. I actually think, uh, thankfully, um, for all the uh, haters who joined me, I think Arcturadon was probably the worst performing top deck at the tournament. Because it, like, <laughs> it was like five in day two, it looks like, maybe. Um, and it wasn't the top top six decks. It was all, it was on the graphic. It was on the graphic. The the graphic they put on stream, Arcturadon was on the graphic. And there's like only a handful of them a couple of them in day two. So still rooting for uh, Arcus to on downfall. And thankfully, you know, the prophecy is coming true and the deck continues to be a, uh, to be a trap. Grant Shin got 17th with it, just missing out on the top 16. But yeah, that's the best finishing one. And the rest of them are, we got to scroll up quite a bit. Ways <laughs> yeah. Down here. To Sash get to did it. get uh, 61st. Okay. All right, yep. and then, yeah, then a couple more in top 128. But yeah, right, rightfully where it should be, not too close to top eight. You know, you know, there's a couple in day two, but yeah, not really pushing for a second place finish anymore. People know about it as a threat now. Don't worry, the Arceus Aradons will no longer be <laughs> getting too many championship points. So there was only um, one Mew VMAX in top 32, which is definitely yep. the worst performance from this deck. I Since it came out, like it has to be right. No shot that there's been Probably, less yeah. than one since it came out. Why? Why is a powerful deck like Mew on? Um, or maybe just... when there was one, it did really well. Like there was the one that won that European regional recently, right? Yeah, but know. was it the only one in top thirty-two? No way, right? I don't know, I'm trying to look it up. Uh, it was the only one in top eight, right? Was it Leo regional? Well, yeah, yeah but... it was Leo. Uh, well, yeah, they, we don't have the data for that. One. It was the only one in top eight. It could have been the only one in top 32. I doubt it, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I doubt it, bro. Uh, but it really was Drapion, right? The yeah. Drapion and Lugia. Like, I feel like that matchup's already slightly favored for Lugia. The Mew matchup in general is like slightly favored for Lugia. Uh, maybe it's just 50 50. We'll just call it a 50 50. And then people are like, it's a 50 50, but what if I added Drapion, right? And like, one of the re one of the incentives to add Drapion is the Mew matchup, right? Even if like you maybe wouldn't have thought about playing Drapion in your Lugia deck until. Uh, MewTV Union did so well. Once uh, once you're there and you're like, well, I kind of need this for MewTV Union if I want to beat that. And you're like, and it helps my Mew matchup, right? It's a little bit of extra incentive. And then, yeah, there was a lot of Drapion. I mean, I played Drapion. Uh, there was also the Rayquaza Lost Box. That has to be another reason as well, right? Because that sounds like a terrible matchup for Mew. Like anything that one hit KOs Mew that is worth one prize card, uh, even Drapion being worth two prize cards is bad enough, right? And then you had like the Arceus Pika decks playing two Drapion, right? So like they were like, all right, I'm figuring out my Lugia matchup. All right, I got my Lugia matchup locked up. All right, and I'll add two Drapion for the uh, <laughs> for the uh, for the Mew matchup, right? Not so, yeah, just a lot of Drapion. Yeah, I mean, and that <laughs> it goes back to what we talked about when Drapion first got revealed. Like, what a dumb card, a one card yeah. inclusion to just vastly improve your matchup percentages against one of the more popular decks in the format. Like, I wonder what would this meta look like currently if Drapion just didn't exist, right? I don't think it would change. Like, Mew would be better, but Lugia, it, like, or like, I bet it would it, decrease Lugia Lugia's meta share. Like, for sure. But, I think Mew has a it, decent matchup against Lugia. But the thing is, Lugia could just, the thing is, Lugia, the, once again, this is the problem with Lugia. Lugia is so versatile, they would just add a dark Pokemon. And they'd be like, okay, I have a dark Pokemon now. They would play yeah, two hiding it, energy. It's got to be a two prize, right? It's got to be a two prize. Baby Moltres. 
there you go yeah, <laughs> that sure. we saw People baby monsters like toronto yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so like that's that's why lugia is like mew's dumb but lugia is like dumb dumb because <laughs> you could just do that anytime a problem presents itself lugia will be able to answer it the trick is to always try and stay ahead of the problems um before before it becomes a problem right that's the, that's what you want to try and do and that's a little bit harder to do than to answer the problems after they're identified as a problem but um i think one the one situation where it actually feels like drapion kind of balanced out the meta was last meta was lost origins format where it felt like you know these decks were playing drapion drapion was an option but mew was still such a powerful deck right the dte mew felt super powerful despite drapion being in the format right so that's yeah. that's actually is the kind of the format where i felt like drapion almost felt like it balanced it out now i think drapion's kind of overkilled mew's not that good uh, and then a couple other interesting decks to mention. We talked about the Arceus of Raladon. There was a Palkia in the top 32, Noah Yoshida, who I believe lost the winning in on the stream. So had a chance, didn't quite get in there, though. Um, and then we also see quite a few Eternatus VMAX in day two. None in top 32. Frank Persik did bubble top 32 at 33rd. So rips to frank for sure that is all i've been there before i've gotten the 33rd so feels so bad to uh <laughs> out of 1200 players get 33rd and get nothing where you had the same match points with someone who at least got 250 bucks but yeah um interesting eternatus on the rise what, what where did this come from as well i mean i'll just came from the the couple recent regionals last week um yeah so we had the one in Taiwan, where there was a Eternatus list that got top eight, but no one really seemed to adopted the more aggressive uh, Umbreon build, and everyone kind of went to the the build that got top eight in Japan, the the Weezing build, right? The four three Weezing, and then Eternatus is kind of like the backup attacker. I think Frank's list actually even only played like a three two Eternatus. Uh, most people were probably rocking the three three. Yeah, and they even um, had Frank was on the three two. Yeah, and then you have. <laughs> Which is so funny. Which it is funny, and that's I mean that once again shows the power of Mew because like actually the Mew matchup is unfavorable if they set up and you don't have Drapion because they're just gonna go two two two, uh, and they kind of just win the game or they yeah and they just kind of get ahead and potentially win the game and overrun you, especially if they're playing the Meloetta build then they just like win the game. So you kind of actually need Drapion to like be an aggressive like first you you get the first knockout or they can even go like two on an Eternatus and then psychic leave a Crobat V and then KO a uh, Crobat V on the the following turn and don't leave a three prizer in play so um yeah that kind of just shows the the power of mew there too even eternatus decks a full dark deck uh, literally no other pokemon still rocks the drapion but yeah the wheezing deck i actually just don't think the lugia matchup is that good you have to put so much other stuff on your bench for your deck to function they play two serena two boss which is actually one of the things we saw lugia decks cutting back on was people were going down to one serena i think uh, I saw that in liam's list and a couple other lists in the top eight that i was looking through didn't have the four gust effects they were cutting down getting a little greedy i feel like on the on the gusts and going down to just two boss and a serena uh, which is actually curious to see because we saw like going into this going into the release of the set where kind of everyone was talking about oh is, are you even gonna play boss anymore why wouldn't you just play for serena uh, and now we see people favoring the extra boss and at least the lugia deck over the, the extra serena uh, when they are going sense, down to those right? three it just gives you more utility yeah. and there's so many one prize decks out there like I mean, mm -hmm. if you only play Serena and your Lost Fox Kyogre opponent benches Kyogre and puts a water energy on it, like, nothing you can do about <laughs> it, right? <laughs> yep, it's just there. Yeah. Actually, and actually, that's actually interesting because I did that a lot against a lot of decks because, like, nothing plays too much boss right now. Even, like, the Lugia decks, once their Luminian is used 
and they used boss with they used it and they've already like burned a boss or discarded a boss and the luminian's been used or they discarded luminian um or even up against stuff like reggie and stuff i'm just like i'm just gonna bench you don't have i don't think you have your last boss in your hand i'm gonna bench this kyogre with a water and now i need so much less when you hit me with the marnie or the roxanne or whatever later um so yeah i did that a lot where i would just kind of bench my bench down my kyogre with a water and be like i don't think you have it and even if you do i have an ordinary rod so i'll be okay <laughs> yeah definitely makes sense so yeah, I mean, I think that's all the big decks to talk about. There were, you know, quite a few other, I mean, as with every day, too, there's going to be some wacky stuff out there. There was some Zoro box, some Beedrill stuff, Gudra Lost Zone box, but none of these really performed that well. This tournament was really all about, I think, Lugia bouncing back after yep. a kind of a downward trend the previous tournament week. And uh, we definitely have to give massive congratulations to Connor once again on getting the win. Largest regionals of all time. Yep, yep. Congrats to Connor. Uh, moving on, we're talking about another regional championship that's coming up in a couple of weeks, the San Diego Regional Championship. Nothing too specific about the event. The thing we're going to be talking about today is uh, a little controversy around deck submission deadline for specifically, well, I guess not specifically the TCG, but maybe the event in whole, but specifically the adjustment to the Pokemon TCG's deck submission deadline. So the uh, the organizer actually didn't tweet out. And actually, I think this has been on something that's been on Arcanine for a while. Um, but someone asked the organizer on Twitter, uh, why does deckless submission close at 8 p.m. the night before the event instead of 8 a.m. the day before at San Diego Regional? So every other regional so far this season and pretty much ever, every other every major event, deck submission closes for the Pokemon TCG usually around 8 a.m. the day of the tournament, right? Yeah. So we play... For regionals, we play on Saturday, so 8 a.m. on Saturday is when, after that, after that point, you can no longer change your deck list. If you submit a deck, you know, a day uh, on Friday, the day before the tournament, then you can still change it up until 8 a.m. on Saturday. And for ICs, that would be Friday. The only time I can remember this is Nationals, yeah. not even NAIC. Uh, I feel like I remember an NAIC where they did this. Did they do it at an NAIC? I think so. Um, Maybe I, they I did. do remember this conversation coming up once again. It, it has happened very sparsely over the years, though. It's definitely. Well, I think it's happened at uh, Worlds before as well. Maybe Worlds that's Day... what I'm thinking of. Yeah, Worlds. No, I think it maybe has. Ha... Yeah, I think Worlds Day One. Yeah. You have to submit your deck list on Thursday and then you play on Friday. I think that's and what then I'm for thinking of. everyone who made it to Day Two of Worlds and anyone who makes it from Day One to Day Two, you don't have to submit your deck list until Saturday morning. So it's not like an advantage for the day two players, but it's still kind of like a, it still kind of takes away a little bit from the the natural order of things for deck list submission for everyone who's playing in day one. But it did happen at nationals one year, like 2014. I remember standing in line to check in the night before the tournament. And I was writing out my deck list on the floor while I was waiting <laughs> in line because for some reason they were like, oh, and you have to submit your deck list the day before. So go back to the days um, of paper deck lists, man. Yeah. <laughs> but this is, this is kind of the, the problem with this so that so they confirmed that okay deck lists do have to be submitted at 8 p.m on friday which i don't think anyone would really have a huge problem with if they had a good reason for it with everything being digital now not having to collect paper deck lists and all that stuff it's so much easier to submit your deck list right but their reasoning for having the tcg players submit their deck list on friday at 8 p.m instead of saturday at 8 a.m uh, was this tweet reminder to all competitors deck lists and team lists must be submitted through rk9.gg by 8 p.m friday january 6th to avoid the first round loss a clear announcement uh <clears throat> a clear announcement and i don't uh and i don't have to worry about typing the wrong time for one of the three 
games. So I think there is a reason behind them having to do this. Do they just do this for Pokemon Go every time where it's like Friday instead of Saturday? I don't know when it is for Pokemon Go. They are doing this is going to be the first regional championships for VGC, right? This will be the first regionals for for Scarlet and Violet. This is a big deal. Um, And I do think that there's some like there's there's always going to be some headaches compared to like the TCG, especially where it's just as simple as like you know, writing down the card that you have in your list. It's not quite as simple in VG, I feel like, where you've got to lock a battle box, and which I don't even know if there is. I can't remember in Scarlet Violet, like, what the situation is, but um, there, there's so much more that has to be done in the game to make sure that people don't, like, change their Pokemon around and stuff like that. Like, because you can yeah. track if someone switches a card out of their deck, but you got to make sure, you got to, you know, make sure someone's not moving Pokemon around in their game, right? changing yeah. up tech moves tming moves mid tournament and stuff like that but um so i don't yeah, know so apparently the, the 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 reason for this is that they the video well the reason the like apparently they want the video game players to submit the night before to make sure everything runs smoothly yes that's what i saw somewhere in this is like to make sure things happen smoothly and we don't have a huge delay on the tournament uh, we're gonna have you submit at friday at 8 p.m to make sure that things you know go well right we don't want to have a huge delay because something goes wrong and then we have to fix it and then that tournament's delayed like three hours right um but that is their reasoning because they're moving the video game deadline to friday at 8 p.m that's why they're also moving the pokemon go and the pokemon tcg unless they always did the pokemon go on friday but i don't think they did in the pokemon tcg to friday at 8 p.m until instead of the normal saturday at 8 a.m because uh, I mean, whoever's running the Twitter account doesn't want to have to worry about typing the wrong time for one of the three games, which I think is just that can't be a reason that just can't. You have to come up with something better than that. I think <laughs> if you have a fine reason, then it's fine. It's like, OK, well, it sucks because no one likes to submit their deck list that early before a tournament. But your reason can't be I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to set out the wrong time for one of the one of the three games. It just it won't happen. Like, I let me do the tweet. I will tweet it for you. I'll take full responsibility. I won't mess it up. I can tweet out Pokemon Go and VGC deadline is Friday at 8 p.m. Pokemon TCG deadline is Saturday at 8 a.m. It's not hard. This can't be the reason. They have to have another reason. This is I think this is absurd, to be honest. Yeah, it's a little crazy. And even one of the responses to this tweet was Jake Gearhart saying, we're all paying $70 for entry. Respectfully, you should have to worry about typing the wrong time for one of the three games, and you should get it correct, right? And this kind of just comes (laughs) with charging a premium for something, right? I mean, granted, this is like, you know, um, a premium hobby, right? A premium game to play, whatever you want to say. And... But it when you're charging that much money for something, there is a higher standard expected of you. So having the excuse of we didn't want to mess it up is is kind of just silly for you sure. You could mess anything up. Like, what is that? You should just not run the event because you could mess up the event. You shouldn't run the event. You should <laughs> I didn't want to pair around one because I was scared I would click the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah you could do any of that could happen right and um and, and i think i mean the standards have been set right for so many years now every every regional this season every regional last season i think some of them were maybe at 8 30 you could submit your deck list by but it's whatever that's 30 minutes different right it's been like 8 to 8 30 a.m saturday the morning before the event or for the ic's it was friday at 7 30 8 whatever around that time yeah. that you could submit your deck list if this wasn't such like a standard where every other event is doing it this way, it wouldn't be a problem, I don't think. Has Team Northwest even ran an event this season? They did one one, right? Yeah, they did Salt Lake. Yeah, Salt Lake, and at that one, deckless submission was eight a.m. 
on Friday, like, I don't know. It just, I just feel this can't be the reason. If you had a good reason, if you had a solid reason, I think it'd be fine. I don't think anyone would have a problem with it. But if this is your reason is you don't want to actually type the wrong time for one of the three games, that just feels so absurd. Like, it seems like they have a solid reason for moving the video game from the morning of till the day, the evening before. But that's not a good reason to adjust the TCG's schedule. Or I don't, like, once again, Pokemon Go, I actually don't know if they usually are friday or saturday i actually have no idea i'm just assuming it was probably saturday morning as well though so um yeah i mean I guess that's kind of all i have to say and i don't know if you have any final words on that one yeah i mean um oh what was i about to say i did have something i wanted to say um oh why like why this is a big deal right like why do players care about submitting at 8 a.m. versus 8 p.m. the night before and it's like those last few hours of testing are where like lots of key decisions get made and especially when you have people traveling to your event from all over the country and even all over the world sometimes right like people are coming from everywhere to play in these regional championships and if decklist submission is at 8 p.m. on friday you're gonna have people who are on planes at 8 p.m. on friday so they're gonna have to submit even earlier than that um, so many people work with teammates that are live in different states than them, and they use that night before the tournament to try to iron out the last couple of card changes they want to make sure they have in their deck before the event starts. And now that is just being gone. And for me personally as well, that's one of my favorite times in the Pokemon TCG is um, <laughs> the night before in the hotel room, busting out the ironing board from the hotel room, playing <laughs> games, trying to figure out what is this last 60th card. All right, getting into the lab and figuring out the perfect deck. And uh, now you just got to figure it out, I guess, the week before, which I mean, it is what it is, and and maybe nobody and nobody would care about this as well if it had always been Friday night. Like this would like, not be a yeah. story, right? But yeah. the fact that it's always been eight a.m. Saturday, and now they're changing it for this reason of all things, it's just really not acceptable. <laughs> I don't feel. Yeah, like. I, I, I don't I know. Think, I yeah, I think it's unacceptable for the most part, and I think there should be a pretty big fuss about it. And it is a kind of like it's really not that big of a deal right in the grand scheme of things as far as like other problems i think we have in pokemon but sure. i think it is something that's worth being brought up and just like yeah like i mean i feel like yeah there's just a, it's just such a bad reason that is the only reason we care to talk about it is it's such a bad reason to <laughs> it's such a bad reason to adjust the time of when you can submit your necklace um it's like comical almost yeah well um you know it is what it is and players are just going to have to adjust i'm worried that people are going to get like round one losses because they didn't submit their list yeah, on yeah. friday night that's definitely going to be something that happens so hopefully enough people read the arcanine page to know um that that is the time for the submission also like this announcement came in the replies of a twitter thread that's not even on their like actual twitter feed so yeah there's a chance that people didn't even see it and there's probably going to be a thousand people playing in this tournament and there's just over a thousand people that follow them over on Twitter. So it's like like not even necessarily everyone who <laughs> is playing in the tournament is going to have seen any of these things. But yeah, I think it's like almost more likely that even if they had tweeted out that Pokemon TCG deckless submission was done by had to be done by 8 p.m. Friday when it was actually uh, 8 a.m. Saturday, it's more likely with it actually being 8 p.m. Friday, that more people are likely to mess up their deckless submission and miss it just because they're so used to just having to put it in the morning up or they're not going to remember before they get on their flight and they're going to land at like 9 p.m. 
uh, and then not have a deck list submitted and then not have a deck in the tournament, right? Yeah, I think it's more likely. Loss. Yeah, I think it's more likely that people just because of this, it's going to be a mess up. So I guess it's a good thing we're bringing attention to it. Well, with us bringing attention to it, hopefully they change it. But also now more people are going to know about it. So make sure you tell your friends uh, or anyone who you know is going to the event. It It, it does say it on the RK9 page. Um, but yeah, they haven't even put out. And with this like being so different from every other regional, I feel like they should have put out an announcement saying for, the, for our upcoming regional. And maybe they will. They're still two weeks away. They could definitely make an announcement, sure. right? And sure. hopefully they do make an announcement and be like, remember, deckless submission for the Pokemon TCG, even though it's different than pre- previous regionals, um, you know, it's going to be the day before at 8 p.m. Hopefully they make an announcement saying they're adjusting it to Saturday at 8 a.m. But we'll see. That would be ideal, but we'll see what happens. But we can move on from there to everyone's favorite segment of the podcast. Guess that flavor text where each week Azul or I will pick a card, read off that flavor text, the little bit of text in the bottom right-hand corner of the card, and the other host will try to guess what that Pokemon is. If you get it right without any lifelines, you get four points, and there are three lifelines you can use for each one you use. You do lose the opportunity to earn one of those points, and those three lifelines, of course, as always, are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and read an attack name. It is Azul's turn to pick a card for me to guess. I do believe I am leading right now, so this could be a good opportunity to uh, <laughs> extend that lead. I do need to go back into the scoreboard and update it, though, because it's been a while. I don't remember exactly where we are, but I'm pretty sure I'm up at least one point. Yeah. All right, Chip, you ready for this week's flavor text? Let's get it, buddy. If this Pokemon senses a strong emotion, it will run away as fast as it can. It prefers areas without people. Um, my first thought immediately is like stuffle or beware is what I want to say. I think that that sounds similar. I feel like I've maybe read this before. Let me, I'm going to need to use some lifelines for sure. Let me just hear the text one more time. If this Pokemon senses a strong emotion, it will run away as fast as it can. It prefers areas without people. I mean, this definitely gives me strong, like route one, Rattata Pokemon type vibes, right? Like it's like the the classic Route One early early game, normal type Pokemon, maybe like a Centrid or something like that. Even um, I'm gonna use some lifelines here though. Let me go with what stage the card is. It is a basic, and then I'll also do what set the card is from. Uh, well, actually, you know what? To be honest, I actually have to look that up. Because... You never have it pulled up correctly. Well, I have the card pulled up, but I just see the set symbol. <laughs> And that means nothing to you. Hold up. Um, it is. You should just help me. You need to just pull it up on PKM and cards every week when you read it off. Uh, okay. Yeah, actually, let me do that real fast. Wh- where did you go to look for it? It just happened. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> where were you? Looking? Okay. Hang on. Oh my All right, gosh. I've got it. It is. Wait, what do you ask for the set, right? Yeah, what set the card is from? From Chilling Rain. All right, I'm going to go with Stuffle. Is not. It is. Wait, wait, wait. Do the read the attack name for oh, anyone playing true. along at home. <clears throat> yeah, for anyone playing along at home, we're going to give you that third one if you haven't guessed it already, which is a super easy one to guess. I can't believe Chip messed this one up. Oh my gosh. Attack is Psy Shot. 
Okay, so if I had re- her <laughs> gone with that, I would have known. I feel like it's wouldn't. always safe to exhaust. Oh, them is it Ralts? No. Okay. You're on the, You're on track though. I'll give you one. Would you do one more before I read it off? For funsies. Um, it only has one attack as well. If that yeah, helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just go ahead and give it. It's Hatena. Oh yeah, so easy, bro. Who? <laughs> <laughs> Who could forget the classic Pokemon Hatena? <laughs> yeah, everyone's favorite, a go-to, a staple in the Pokemon TCG. Oh Hatena. Many cards are go- are going to come. More Hatenas in the future for sure. In future sets, you already know what it is. All right, moving on. Next thing we're going to talk Azul, about. Wait, we wait, 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 wait. Oh, go uh, ahead. I will Venmo you five dollars if you can tell me what Hatena evolves into without looking it up. Don't, no, don't uh, look, don't look. You looked at your no, screen. I'm not, no, I, but it's not on my screen anymore. I've already closed the page. I'm looking at the uh, next thing we're going to talk about. Um, what is Hat 10 Hatena? into? Well, I know the, the, I know the stage two is Hat Arena, Arini. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Yeah. That's the Hat one. The stage one is. Well, it's got to be something with a hat. It starts <laughs> with age. <laughs> uh,. I don't know. Hat, hat, Hatton? <laughs> Hatterene. <laughs> oh, Hatterene. And what is the stage two? Is Hatterene? Oh, sorry. No. Sorry. Yeah, Hatterim. Hatterim is the stage one. I forgot. <laughs> oh, Hatterim. Okay, yeah. Hatterim into Hatterene. My bad. So the first one is Hatena. Like, but like antenna, but a hat. Yes. The other one is hat, Hatterim, like a hat, like the rim of a hat. I guess. Yeah. Yes. And then the last one is Hatterene, which is the reen of a hat. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, is the hat Pokemon, right? It is. If anyone out there makes hats, <laughs> what is what is Hatterene referring to in the, with the reenie? Yeah, what does the reenie mean? What is the yeah, what is that? the base of the word? Yeah. <laughs> but oh, it's hat. It's hat rim, not hat. Oh, but it is hat rim. Yeah, it's, it means like rim. Or maybe we're just like maybe we're just like being really like hat oh rim has gosh. nothing to do with rim. Hatena has nothing to do with an antenna. But but the the hat on Hatena's head does kind of look. It doesn't even look like a hat antenna. Like an antenna, it looks like a party hat with a bubble on top. Well, from right. there, <laughs> before this devolves any further, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, actually, just something we did want to mention really quick. A little bit of news: Pokemon did announce what the World Championship decks are going to be this year. So, for anyone who doesn't know, every single year. Pokemon releases the World Championship decks, which are pre-constructed, pre-made decks featuring cards and lists from players who placed well at the previous World Championships. And these are really fun to collect and to have, to be able to go back and revisit old formats. Like, I've got most of the World Championship decks that have been printed over the years, ever since the first ones back in 2004. Um, It's a very cost-efficient way to build these decks as well. They do have different card backs, so you cannot, you know, use these alongside regular cards generally, but it's just a nice way to, like, commemorate the deck, and it's also kind of a badge of honor for a Pokemon player to have had a deck made of something you played at Worlds. Very, very cool. So, obviously, Andre Skubal's ADP deck, Arceus Decidueye. Flying Pikachu deck. Very, very cool name there. Um, we've got Andre Chiasan's The Shape of Mew. A little reference to good old Ed Sheeran, I would imagine. We've got 
Ice Rider Palkia from Rikuto Awashi, who won in the juniors division. And then in the seniors division, we have Sebastian Lashmet's Cheryl again, Rapid Strike Urshifu deck. Yeah, so the, the Worlds decks, it is kind of unfortunate, even if you win Worlds, unless you're in the Masters division, you don't actually don't get your deck printed every time. So like they always print them. Yeah. yeah, they always print the Masters division first place deck, right? Always, right? They always do that, which yes. does make sense. Um, but then it kind of stinks, I guess, for the other divisions a little bit because your deck is not guaranteed to be printed. They printed the Juniors division uh, champion deck, but because the Juniors division champion deck was a Palkia deck, they did not print the Seniors Division Champion deck, so they didn't want to print two Palkia decks. So Liam, uh, unfortunately, who we just talked about, who just got top eight, unfortunately did not get their Worlds deck printed yet. Instead, Sebastian got it with the Urshifu, because you got to switch it up. They're not trying to print, you know, if Palkia had won every division, they're not trying to print four Palkia decks. So they do try and switch it up and try and have a better representation of uh, the meta at Worlds, but also like powerful decks throughout the year. So I think Urshifu is pretty fitting, to be honest. Um, so... Sebastian yes. kind of did them a favor by getting second with Urshifu, to be honest, because that was really fitting for the year, the format throughout the year, right? Or like Urshifu was super powerful, didn't really have its uh, time at IRL events, right? Like it didn't really get to showcase its stuff too much. I Urshifu? guess there was like the, oh no, that's not true. There was Urshifu like Urshifu won box. EUIC. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was cool to see Urshifu get in there for sure. And then Robin of course, Robin won Mew, regionals with it as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course, Mew, Arceus, and Palkia being like the, the three most dominant Pokemon uh, up until Lugia. <laughs> All getting a deck as well. Um, so yeah, super cool. And, and I think they're doing it a little bit different than we've seen them do it in the past. So the usually the back of the cards are, you know, the world's theme and logo and whatever. Um, but this year, they're different colors. So like the Mew one is purple. The, the what one is green? Arceus one is green. Uh, the Arceus one is green. Yeah, the Urshifu one is green. No, the no, Urshifu no, one is brown. Like, is green. I'm sorry. Or orange. Yeah, and then the Palkia one is blue. So that's kind of cool. Doing like a little bit of like a, a theme for each of the decks, I guess a little, or changing up the color scheme, at the very least, which uh gives a you know a little bit more uniqueness to each of them, which is cool. Yeah, definitely cool. I am a fan. These are definitely worth picking up for fifteen dollars as well because they usually only yeah. print them once, and then once they sell out, they don't make them anymore. So I mean, even the older ones are you know hold their value pretty decently and it's a great way and a cheap way to be able to go back and remember formats now whether or not this is a format you want to go back and remember i guess that's up to you <laughs> uh there I is think, some i think some fun decks but definitely I, a better collector's <laughs> item than like yeah. an item that's worth breaking out and play i want to go back and play that 2022 world championships format. that format was awesome there was yeah, palkia I mean, and Pikachu could beat it. <laughs> Let's go. I mean, I've busted out and played, I would say, all of the world's decks at some point, you know, just for a couple games. Like, you know, I've played the 2018 ones, the 2019 ones, and there's problems with all of these well, formats. Those are but... better. Hmm? Those are definitely better than this. This was bad. I think this world's was a terror. Like, this might have been the, this is probably the worst world's format I have ever played in. This was a terrible format. Like, I think it 2012 was is up there is pretty bad as what well. What was that one? Dark Ride. No, but that, uh, that was not this bad. There was so much was more. Dark Ride CMT. It was different though, because the, the, because of like the way that the, the game is played now with like the information share and stuff. Well, maybe Dark Ride was a pretty high percentage of the meta. I don't remember it being that high. I wasn't at that world. It was pretty high. Um, I, I don't remember how, either, I don't know how high yeah. it was. I don't think we had those stats back then. No one knew. You'd have to have someone going around with a pen and paper and like counting individually yeah. uh, <laughs> what every uh, what every deck was. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I enjoyed that format 
personally overall there wasn't really many decks yeah it was just eels dark and cmt but i think i mean this is the worst format worst worst format i've played in because i didn't play in 2012 um worlds so yeah this was bad i think this was bad this is definitely by far the worst world format i've ever played in um, they can't all be winners i guess <laughs> no they can't they can't there's got to be bad to be good right and hopefully we get to something better for the next world championships we're going to show up to the worlds at 2013 is or 2023 is going to be 75 percent lugia or something like that <laughs> yikes <laughs> um and then the last thing we wanted to talk about on this week's episode is the current prizing structure in pokemon tournament so we talked about this a, a bit over the yep. last few weeks i mean but it just feels like a topic that keeps coming up because there keep being reasons that the current structure is bad <laughs> right like we just had the mm-hmm. largest regional championships of all time there were 1200 masters at this event and you had to finish in the top 32 to get any sort of prize money and you had to finish in the top 64 to even get any booster packs and i think the biggest issue i don't think it would there would, you would see so many people complaining or like as upset about it if maybe they just cut straight to top 64 into day two right and then everyone who is playing in day two at least gets something but you've got so many people who are playing in day two there were 130 people participating in this day two so that means there will be a bunch of people who just finished with top 128 which is just 40 championship points and then you're gonna have two people who played in day two who played an additional six rounds two people are going to get top 256 points which means they get no packs absolutely nothing at all and they get 30 championship points which is less than what you get for getting second place at a league cup <laughs> yeah i don't know so like it's kind of weird to think but it's like i mean i guess like you could always look at the argument as like okay but if you show up to day one and you go oh four you get nothing right well yeah but so I guess like for the are we trying to say like for the achievement of making it today too yeah. it would feel nice to and I guess I kind of agree with that especially because I feel like Pokemon and we, we've kind of talked about this as well as like being like the the bar for getting your worlds in, in Pokemon is not that high um, the bar for getting your worlds invite in Pokemon is really not that high in comparison to just like other competitive stuff like in the world um, but we think that I, th- I think that's fine I think it's fine for Pokemon to be a little bit more casual competitive for the most part you know give majority of people who want to take the game a little bit more seriously the chance to get their world's invite uh, if you go a little bit further than that you will like almost guaranteed to get your world's invite as long as you put in the time and effort um and i it almost feels like that would be kind of maybe the same thing with this kind of day two thing where it's like if you make day two i think at the very least if you make day two there should be like a cp minimum right it should be like the cp should basically go there's cp for 128 for 256 but there's also just like day two uh cp so like the two players who got you know 29th and 30th or 129 130 should also just get top 128 cp right i think that like that's not something that's hard to do shouldn't Um, be in theory right yeah um and then for the pricing stuff i guess it changes a little bit um there's like a there's like a lot of things to like talk about with that a majority of people feel like they want to see the pricing because the pricing has been the same for I don't how many years now? Five since six? 2016. So the 2017 season. Six years. So the pricing has been the same for six years, but entry fees have gone up. Uh, I mean, in, is inflation a good reason to increase the prize payout for Pokemon? I mean, the tournament? real thing is that they don't have to give us anything, right? Yeah. Like, there doesn't have to be a prize at the top. And for a long time, there wasn't. At regional championships, yeah. you got a few booster boxes if you won the event, right? And uh, a, like a round, a one or two round buy at U.S. Nationals. That was like the get, yep. like what you got for doing well at regional championships, which is like 
fine and was good enough for all those years. But I think once they introduced money into the game, there was just massive growth, maybe more than they expected. Honestly, regional championships went from having 300 players at them to having 700 players at them regularly. And now we're looking at regionals over a thousand players for like, has every regionals this season in the U S had over a thousand players at it. Yeah. Over a thousand players. And I think the, uh, the, the tournament uh, cap has capped every time. Like we've yeah. hit the cap every time, I think. Even if it's taken, some of them have taken a little bit more than the first 10 seconds of registration opening uh, or quite a bit more than that. Like it's still capped every single time, I'm pretty sure. So uh, we're definitely showing interest and we're filling up the tournaments and we are, you know, paying the extra entry fee despite uh, despite the entry fee increase. We're still paying it with that many more players showing up. I feel like there should be a, a prize increase at some point. Like I feel like the prizes should just increase. Like, I would like to see everything kind of filled out. Like, like ideally, like what I, if I could like pick uh, where it could should go from here. Personally, uh, maybe you don't have to increase the first place prize pool, but even like I think just making things a little bit. It would also just like give you know you give you a little bit of feels better for placing so well or giving you something else to like, kind of play for. Like, if you make day two, there should be like a day two championship point minimum. I think it just feels really bad to be those uh, <laughs> those bottom few in those kind of situations. Um, and then yeah, I, I mean it would nice, it'd be nice to see them bring back the top 64 payouts. We had that the first year of the prize increase. So bring that back, bring back the 250, top 32 becomes 500, top 16 becomes 750. uh, And then maybe you increase the top eight. Maybe maybe the the first place player still stays at 5,000, but maybe you can get up to like 7,500. I don't know. Um, That'd be nice. Uh, We kind of took a look at Magic tournaments before this and just took a look at how their basically regional equivalent tournaments... um, pay out and you know it's, they pay out top 64 and they even pay out further down to like top 100 and top 128 based on attendance so if they got like 3,000 plus players um so uh, and i think that's what it should be for pokemon as well i think if we get over a thousand players that's where we should see the prize increase right yeah drop um, it or down even to if top 64 at least or like yeah even if they want to set the by a little bit even if they want to set the bar to uh 1500 players but actually get the, if they want to boost, if they want to set the bar to once we get 1,500 players at a regional, we'll increase prize payout by whatever. Um, if they want to do that, even that's fine. But first, they have to give us the venue space so we can actually, you know, sign mm-hmm. up 1,500 players, right? I would be fine with that if they wanted to be like, all right, we're going to do prize increases at 1,500 players for regionals going forwards. I think everyone would love that. And as long as they, as long as the venues can support 1,500 players, I think we could maybe not this season maybe not next season but the season after i think we could definitely be feeling that because the game has been growing well, right we talked about the huge growth when the first 5k regional started but yeah. even like this last couple of years the great the game has seen huge growth still i mean i think if you put more money up top there will be more people that come and play like undoubtedly that as well yeah so i think like you would see instant growth almost um if yeah. like they implemented it next season it would definitely increase but we'll we'll see what happens i think almost the the thing that feels worse and maybe someone on this call can uh, kind of attest to this <laughs> is being someone who finishes with 35 match points, a record of 11, two and two, the exact same record as the person who's the eighth seed going into cut and they get ninth place. They get 500 bucks and two booster boxes and that's it. They only lost two games at a 1200 person tournament and that's what they come away with. Yeah. So there definitely needs to be, <clears throat> So I got ninth this weekend, 35 points. Uh, someone also got 10th with 35 points. And then there was three people with 35 points, I believe, in cut at uh, uh, 678. Um, so, I mean, I've talked a lot about this about with a lot of other, you know, 
top players and it's not only the the opinions of top players that matter but they're obviously going to be in these positions more often than most people where they're uh, on the cusp of getting top eight or playing towards top eight throughout a day two uh and it feels like you do have to work really really hard uh to get you know i went five and one in day two uh and even at that point i still whiffed top eight right That's so i came crazy. into day two took one loss only one loss which in the past has been like the the extremes almost it felt like sometimes because I, I feel like in the past you could go like four 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 one one in day two or four one it would be um you know and of course it and i came in with a little bit better record than most people i came in at six one two which is a pretty big difference that one point is like huge um so i came in at six one two went five and one and then i got ninth place right which sucks and it feels like i mean if they want to make the tournaments as hard as possible, I, that's fine, I guess, right? And that's kind of up to the Pokemon to decide how hard they want it to be for people to progress throughout a tournament, right? The bar was set quite a while ago of, okay, 6 to one is how you make day two uh, or top 32. But then all of our regionals are so big, it's just 6 to one right? You get 6 to one that's the bar to make it to day two, which I think is a pretty reasonable one. I actually think that's pretty reasonable. But now the next question has become, has these tournaments have gotten bigger and bigger, and we haven't seen an adjustment from the day two to top eight change um, is becoming harder and harder to make top eight, right? Uh, and the question just becomes, okay, at what point, like, do we have to get 3,000 players uh, and then have it be, <laughs> and then, like, and then if they kept it at six rounds, we'd have, like, I mean, that would just be ridiculous, right? I don't even know what would happen if we had that kind of <laughs> situation. Go- it'd be, like, only the players who are, like, almost undefeated making it to top eight, right? And even then, you might have some people bubbling, right? Um, so if we get so many more players, this is going to get worse. So at some point, they have to adjust the system, right? Whether it be an extra round, seven rounds in day two, once we each reach a certain number of players, maybe that they maybe they already have a plan for this. We just haven't hit the numbers yet. Um, the solution I think is probably better is probably asymmetrical cut. I think asymmetrical cut solves all the problems of still giving an advantage to the higher seeds while also making it, um, you know, less difficult to, you know, uh, acquire that top cut spot. Yeah. So in this situation specifically, uh, myself and the 10th place player would have played against the 7th and 8th place player. Uh, we would have played around. The winners of those games would have made it into top 8, and then top 8 plays out from there. Um, and this also still gives an advantage to the higher seeds because they don't have to play that play-in round. Another thing I think what they should do, and I was hoping they would have actually done that going into this season, is I really think that the higher seed going into top 8 should be able to pick who goes first or second and give some kind of advantage to the higher seed. So asymmetrical cut would do that as well. Um, but I also think on top of that, the higher seeds should get to pick if they go first or second in the match. And that would also make it better um, for those players who are actually the top eight in the top eight playing into the symmetrical situation. Like if I played against the uh, the eighth seed as the ninth seed, they would pick to go if they want to go first or second in the first game. And then we'd play out for whoever, whoever loses from there gets to pick. So I know so those are the two something... adjustments I would like to two adjustments I'd like to see. Yeah, so an asymmetrical cut is also something they did at Worlds this year. We literally saw that where the the Sunday or Saturday morning of uh, top cut being played, they literally had a play in round as the first one, eighth versus ninth mm-hmm. seed, Octavio versus Cal Connor, and Octavio ended up winning that one. Um, so I, I mean, I don't know. I I think that that was probably like a trial run at Worlds. Like, okay, do we like this? Do the people like it? Do the players like it? Can we all we like implement it. <laughs> this moving forward and the answer is yes everyone likes it let's implement it but it doesn't but move they've done this trial quickly. run before though they, they did, did this do at it in anaheim yeah. at the open they've done it at the open multiple times actually i think where they've done asymmetrical cut at the uh the opens um but they still have not implemented it to the 
the majority of the major tournaments, unfortunately. Yeah, so maybe that'll be a change next season. I do want to talk about your idea of like mm-hmm. the uh, the higher seed getting to choose who goes first or second. That is something that they do in Magic the Gathering, I believe. Yep. But I mm-hmm. think that Magic is a little bit slower of a game compared to Pokemon. And obviously, I think that whoever goes first is going to have an advantage. But I wonder if it's as big of an advantage in Magic as it is in Pokemon. Because right now in Pokemon... Going first is a pretty massive advantage for most decks, right? I mean, especially like if you're talking about something like the Lugia Mirror, right? (laughs) So, um, would doing something like that, letting the first player, the the first seed player, just be too high of a advantage for them, or is it an earned and deserved advantage because they have that higher seeding? Uh, I guess that's a decent question. I mean, either way, it still comes down to like a 50-50 after that. So like, even if they didn't get the pick, it's still a 50-50. And then 50% of the time, they just go first anyways. And then they're still winning because they went first maybe, right? Um, but I don't think like, I don't think Pokemon is dictated too much by who goes first or two or second overall in the grand scheme of things. Like sure. you still see the best players doing the best, right? And they are theoretically only going first 50% of the time. So um, I think it's I think it's a deserved. I, it's also just like when you get into those later rounds where people are just kind of IDing at the top table, it's not that there's anything wrong with that. I think that's fine um i don't but i would like to like sit down you know as like a table one table two and day two and i could id um or maybe i want to play that out because it's like a decent matchup for me and maybe i want them in cut or maybe i want to be first seed so that when i play against anything else that's not them in cut potentially i get to pick to go first or second depending on the matchup and have that advantage instead right so i think it's just something that should be in the game because like just first seed in pokemon does not matter the the idea is that oh you get to get play against the eighth seed so theoretically there may be a worse player or playing a worse deck because they're not first feed but everyone knows throughout the the way the amount of rng that's in a card game being first seed or eighth seed going into the top cut just, just just does not matter it just doesn't matter no one thinks it matters i mean i can't i can't think of anyone who thinks it matters it's probably just that the, the person who's first seed probably ran the hottest in day two or from or on day one and went like nine or something right like it's probably all that it really means I think something else that they could definitely do that would just make it feel better for anyone is like add top 32 uh, placement cards or top eight placement cards oh, at yeah. least. Like take the regional promo and just put a little stamp on it that says top eight or champion or, you know, just add a yeah. little something extra. Um, I feel like I mean, every other card game has that as well. They yeah. have promo cards for placements. And Pokemon has that for their higher level tournaments as well. They've got it for re- the um, world championships and they've got it for the international championships at yeah. starting at top eight at least. At Worlds, they start at top 32. You can get the top 32 promos, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I would love to see that happen. And it feels, I mean, that seems like such a low cost thing that they could do that would just like appease a lot of people. It just adds a little bit of something else you get that's probably going to be a little valuable. You can sell it if you want to, or you can keep it to commemorate your tournament round, which is probably what most players will do anyway, right? Yeah, I feel like there's definitely something, I feel like there's just something missing in general, the general uh, prize payout structure currently. Uh, And then also for the uh the qualification for top eight at these tournaments i think asymmetrical cut fixes everything on top of that i would like to see the first seed gets the pick going first or going second or higher seed i should see it's not just first seed the higher seed is a pick going first going second throughout top cut um but i think at the asymmetrical cut adds a little bit to that as well because then if you have a higher seed you don't have to play in right you don't have to play in that play-in round but um so yeah i think there there's like two things they need to fix is one is just it uh the process from day two to the next round of the top eight just feels like it's missing something. Uh, and I'm not just saying this because I did just get, uh, <laughs> I just did just get bubble or 
did just uh, end up with a record as someone else in top eight. You know, I've done this. I mean, I've happened this happened to me multiple times. Um, and I've sometimes been the player who who gets in over the other players. Um, and if I had to play against one of them to to keep my spot, I don't think that would be a bad thing either, right? So I've been the player who's been in over other players at the same record. I've been the player who's been out. And I think in either situation, I like I think it would be fine to have to for me to have to play. And the other solution, uh, other two solutions for that specifically would be to do a seventh round in day two. Uh, that would make things a little bit cleaner, or to do a top sixteen to cut to a top sixteen. The reason yeah, I don't like the cutting to top sixteen option. as much is because it does kind of take away the value of being a higher seed, right? Like if you're first seed and you lose to the sixteenth seed and end up top sixteen, that feels kind of kind of bad. But I think that would still be a reasonable solution, and especially once you know you're playing towards a top sixteen, you'd kind of get used to like the overall value of being a higher seed not being worth as much or not caring as much, I guess, as well. But like right now, right now the current sw- uh, it currently switching that would feel pretty bad, I guess. I mean, before there was day two Swiss, they used to just cut to like top yeah. 64, right? Back yeah, in regionals they just top 32, cut. right? Is that how it was for your first the... regionals that you won? Yeah, we cut to top 32, I think, at yeah. the first regional. It was top 32 or top 16. And like the first nationals I went to, we cut to top 128. They just took the top 128 players and then you just played. And you there was no, um, there was no guaranteed record to make it there either. It was just that. The players, the they just cut off the the person who was at one twenty eighth, and that's it. And then they play from there. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I mean, as always, it's like there's there feels like there's room for improvement. It feels sad whenever it's just been stagnant for the last couple of years, and maybe we'll see that yeah. adjust and that's probably the biggest thing next season. But I mean, that's I feel like those are words that we say like every season. <laughs> I think I, they got to change with these two things. I think like they got to change something next season, right? Hopefully, and I'm thinking that mid season would be cool, but I feel like at the yeah. very least they got to do something by next season for sure. It's very rare that they do stuff like that mid season. I do think that I mean there is I don't know. I remember back to the 2018 season or 2017 season, I think it was, where they adjusted the world's qualification halfway. Oh, was, that, yeah. They adjusted the world's qualification halfway through the year. Like, I feel like we could potentially see something like that happen this season because I don't know that. I, mean, I think in their mind, there's a number of players they want to be at Worlds. And I wonder if they're on track for that right now. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, I mean, it's in Japan this year. So a ton of players who like are close to getting their world's invite and stop playing for it or get their world's invite probably won't go. It's like, it's, it's not going to be uh, as reasonable of a trip to something like London for like North American players or I don't even European know how, I don't know. Players or, even. Yeah, or European players, right? So like, obviously for the Japanese players, it'll be pretty easy. Uh, and for Australia, I think it's pretty reasonable as well to get to Japan, right? It's not that far. I don't know how expensive it is flying out of Australia. I think in general, it's just expensive. So, um, so it, with that in mind, you want to make it, like a, give a higher opportunity for players to get their invites because you want like a certain number of players there to represent the the other regions besides Japan, right? So uh, even if it means making the invite a little bit easier this year uh, overall as we start to work through the rest of the season, um, it's not a bad thing, right? Because they want because like some players, you know, some people might get their invite but not be able to go by the time Worlds comes around or not plan to go but still just want to get their invite. Um, but they also want people who get their invite and then also go. So we'll see what that ends up looking like. And League Cups and League Challenges should be coming back know next season right i even saw like i think i saw someone tweet out yesterday like pictures of uh like official was it official league stuff um i think stuff's starting to go out so i feel like it's gonna come back maybe quarter three right yeah maybe scarlet violet release maybe all speculation at this point but hopefully hopefully um yeah we'll see how many how many players do you think in the u.s have their world's invite right now um after well i guess we don't have what's called points uploaded yet do we no i don't think it'll change but one though from what i can see uh players with the invites right now i'm gonna guess 
Seven. Five. I was close. North American players. And I think after this uh, tournament. I mean, there's so many Europeans. There's so many Europeans that they're invited now already, bro. Yeah, but they have so many. Like, they have less points. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. That's my my joke. They only need 350, bro. There's so many Europeans that players. It's Europeans that invite. Actually, it's only 11, so it's like not yeah, even no. that many more. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. No, I was just joking. Yeah, they have way less regionals than us, so it's a little bit... Uh, makes sense. A little bit higher, harder for them to have already... Uh, there just hasn't been as much CP kind of put out over there. But, um, Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode, Azul, unless you have any other thoughts, any other closing statements? No, I think that's it. Yeah, th- those are the two things. I'd like to see them change. Hopefully, they'll change it sometime soon, but... Um, but yeah, go ahead. Send us out, Chip. Yeah, thank you all so much for listening. As always, if you did enjoy, we would appreciate you showing your support by leaving us a rating on your podcasting platform of choice or uh, going over to the YouTube channel, clicking that subscribe button, dropping a like, any of those things, a comment. All these things help boost us in the algorithm, help more people find the podcast so that they too can learn how to be the very best like no one ever was. That was so cringy i can't believe i just said that uh if you guys want to stay plugged in and uh connected with us the best way to do that is over on twitter you can follow myself at chip richie azul at under uh, at azul underscore gg (laughs) and you can also follow the podcast at uncommon underscore energy every week once again tuesday 7 a.m eastern thank you all so much for your support as always yep see you next week Peace. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas.